We're sponsored today by TNT and their new series Public Morals from creator Edward Burns. New York in the 60s had gambling, prostitution, after-hours bars, and cops to manage it. If you wanted to be in business, you had to pay the rent. Public Morals premieres tonight, Tuesday the 25th at 10, 9 central on TNT. The following podcast contains spoilers. Check the episode description to see the exact times of the segments that contain spoilers. The following podcast contains explicit language. This week on the Vulture TV podcast, we'll be discussing the best TV pilots ever and The Walking Dead's new spinoff series, Fear the Walking Dead. If you have any questions for us, please email us at tvquestions at vulture.com. Hey everyone, I'm Gazella Mami, host of the Vulture TV podcast. I'm here with our TV columnist Margaret Lyons and TV critic Matt Zoller Seitz. This week, we're also joined by our West Coast editor, Joe Adalian. Hey, Joe, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. So, TV pilots, guys, this is a fun one for us, I think. We've been wanting to do it for a little while now, and the Walking Dead spinoff provided a good opportunity, because I don't know what you guys think, but I considered the Walking Dead pilot one of the... It's up there in terms of the best pilots in recent memory for me. It's a really good pilot. I think what's strange is how out of pace it is with the rest of the series. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, it ne- the show has never gotten close to that good of an episode ever, ever again. No, definitely not. And the, the quality of filmmaking is much higher than in almost any episode of the next couple of years <laughs> in that pilot. But that seems like a common pilot thing. Joe could probably speak to this, but isn't it true that the, often they'll blow all their money on the pilot and then they got to go on the cheap for the rest of the season? Especially with a broadcast network show, yeah. Lost, for example, was a pilot that cost at the time like around $11, $12 million to make. God. The average TV drama is about $2 million to $3 million. So, yeah, absolutely. Pilots are front-loaded. But that Lost pilot is dope. That is that such is a good pilot. So worth it. So good. <laughs> and I will say that as much as Lost has become kind of a punching bag for a lot of television sort of chatter, that whole first season is fantastic. Yeah. Like Lost, you know, eventually kind of on that, whereas The Walking Dead, we kind of see the height of it at the, yeah. in the first episode. There's a sense of craft in that, in that Lost pilot. And in fact, it's so good that I've actually gotten into arguments with people who say that J.J. Abrams can't direct. I don't think very highly of him as a director usually, but boy, he directed the shit out of that pilot. <laughs> and I'm That actually, is really, really good. I'm a big fan of J.J. Abrams' other pilots. Like for Alias, I thought that was an incredible pilot just really fun and immediately throws you into this world at full force and Felicity Felicity I was gonna say that's a a good one that's a good one I mean I think that's one that is very much representative of the show as a whole Mm -hmm. like yes it's the first day so oftentimes a pilot is gonna have a lot of work to do to like set up the whole premise of the show the world of the show who are the characters and sometimes that can feel a little bit labored which is why pilots are not usually a good yardstick for how good a show is no and so you know pilots kind of get like exposition-itis a lot of the time and that's sort of like a par for the course kind of thing like that's a very forgivable sin to me I think Felicity though is like pretty seamless like it's just much more like oh this is a very representative sample like the feelings that are true on the Felicity pilot remain very much true for the run of the show. That's very true. Sure. The cheer, the Cheers pilot, I think, is one that I, I would put on the list of gold standard pilots sure. just for the way that it sets up. Like if you want to know what Cheers is about, you can watch the pilot. And not just because it introduces <laughs> the characters. Like 
That is every episode, every significant episode of Cheers encapsulated in whatever it was at the time, 24 minutes. Another one like that that I actually just happened to watch last week because it was on uh, one of those little digital networks, Antenna TV, uh, was All in the Family. And yeah. and I don't think it's as legendary necessarily, but especially when a show is, ends up being groundbreaking or genre shifting or cha- however it changes the medium as, as All in the Family did, it's always interesting to see when the you can see what the creator was trying to go w- w- right from the beginning. You knew who Archie Bunker was. You knew the relationship between Meathead and his wife, you knew all those characters were so finely well drawn, and when you and you've got amazing actors like all of that cast were, and they can bring them to life immediately, and they inhabit the characters. That's just that is magic. Hill Street Blues was another one that had a knockout pilot. In fact, it was it was so critically acclaimed that Siskel and Ebert reviewed it. There were a handful of mm-hmm. moments where they reviewed pilots of television shows on their show. And that was one of them. And I remember that Ebert really loved it, and Siskel was a naysayer because he said, well, that's all. He said, that, all that stuff that he's doing in there is just stuff that Robert Altman did. Huh. Which, in retrospect, was kind of funny because Robert Altman learned how to do what Robert Altman did by being a television director. Like, he, he started out in the early days of TV. So, in a way, it's kind of come full circle. Miami Vice was another great one. That was, uh, in fact, so good that I think the rest of the show had trouble living up to it. I feel like ER's pilot... I, like, I remember how different that looked at the time and how much, like, action there was and the sort of the steady cam work and all of that, how many stories there were, like, crammed into every episode, how often, like, the stories were just little tiny, like, chunks, right? You saw yes. somebody come crashing through the doors, like, we need a gurney over here. And it's like, we just don't see that person again. And yeah. it, I remember being completely, mm-hmm. um, like, mesmerized by this and feeling like, oh, wow, that's a really different kind of show. And even when you watch it now, it, it really has aged incredibly well, I think, because all the shows after that were like, oh, I'll do it that way. And so yeah. ER feels very much still of a kind. ER was an amazing pilot, one of the best of all time. But but how do you think in terms of camera work, which do you think is more revolutionary, the pilot for ER or for NYPD Blue, which preceded it by a couple of years and really also with the steady cam and with the shade. I mean, ER was different. It was so much bigger. And it would put you right there in the, in the room. But but um, I'm curious what you make of the, if you remember the NYPD Blue pilot. And, well, and, I, I, would, I would have to give a slight edge to ER because yeah. uh, NYPD Blue came around Uh, What year did that begin? 93? 93, you're right. Okay, well, then the same year as Homicide Life on the Street, which also had handheld camera work, which was even more chaotic than what you saw in NYPD Blue. In fact, it was so chaotic that NBC said, can you tone it down? Like 25% because we're getting, you know, air sickness here. But I would say ER because the lessons that were learned on ER were applied to so many shows. Taking it back to pilots, though, the look of a show and the feel of a show, and the sound of the show, the dialogue, but also the sound effects and music, like all these things establish the character of a show, and that's the job of the pilot. And the thing you were talking about, Margaret, that sort of like, that really tediously expository dialogue that almost every pilot has to do to some degree, like that, I feel like that's something I have to suffer through to get to the good stuff. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. once you get to episode two, three, or four, then I start to feel like what the show actually is. Well, two shows I feel like that expressed who their characters were without being too heavy-handed with the dialogue were Friday Night Lights and Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. Because you really get a sense of, you know, the hearts and souls of these people and more through how they behave. And I mean, the dialogue is just really good, but it's also just you see them in these situations that you can identify the feelings and anxieties that they have, which I found immediately drew me into these shows. When you mentioned that, I immediately thought of the pilot for my so-called Me too. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I think those... everybody hurts at the end with the Brian Krakow riding <laughs> yeah, around on his yeah. bike. And when she, she's like, I must have been really tired because I fell asleep right there. And I'm just like, <sighs> is there oh, a my distinction? God. I'm like crying thinking about this. Like, that's like one of my. <laughs> that is one of the great pilots ever. I also think ever. 
you know, the reason these feel sort of alike is that all of these shows are so character driven versus premise driven or plot Mm -hmm. driven. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes the way a pilot works is that it's the day everything changed. And that can make it feel sort of clunky. And so I think we in Friday Night Lights, we don't know that it's the day everything changed until the very last Mm -hmm. moments when when Jason gets hurt. But up until then, it's not the day everything changed. It's really just another it's an ordinary it's a largely ordinary day. And it's extraordinary because these kids are being asked to have this sort of like extraordinary life, even though they're children, they're in high school. and, And having that level of pressure is maybe out of pace with what could be healthy. But, you know, Freaks and Geeks, it's not like everything changed right it's like poof and then he showed up right it's like oh this is like you can imagine Bob came along yeah and so you can kind of imagine like what it was like for the weirs like two months earlier right you like have it like it's pretty clear right we have this sort of understanding the same way with like the Chase family it's like okay Angela even says like I don't remember when I started hanging out with Ray or how I started hanging out with Ray and Graf but suddenly we always were. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, right. That's sort of how that feels. And so, yes, this is the episode where Angela dyes her hair. But that was like a long time coming. Right. Like that's not the actual change that sets a pilot in motion the way, you know, the pilot of Lost. Yes, <laughs> like, yes, yes. That's the thing that sets everything in motion. Right. Yeah, definitely. I'm wondering what you think about the difference between pilots that are distinct because of their directors versus writers, especially with a lot of shows in the more traditional network era, you know, the only thing that you could really set apart a pilot with was with the direction. I'm thinking of CSI, for example, yes. which CSI was not a particularly well, no offense to Anthony Zyker or the, or the people there, it's not particularly well written. It was a cops looking into crimes with, with flashlights. But the direction of that show is what, when I watched that pilot said, wow, this is, this is a new type of crime drama, seeing the perspective of the bullet go in. And, what year and, did and that, what the year did that 2000. Okay. Well, I wonder, I always wondered, you know, Three Kings came out in 1999. And that had the shots where you saw what a bullet did to the body. Like you saw the bullet entering the body and they had these miniatures Mm -hmm. of the tissue and the flesh. And I always wondered if the CSI people got their ideas for those sequences from that. The Wonder Years is another one of the pilots that I just think absolutely blew me away. That's a killer one. That's a killer one. I think it's interesting a couple of these include important voiceover. I feel like Mm -hmm. that can Mm -hmm. be a hindrance on a show at a certain point. But I think for pilots, it winds up being like a really effective tool. I'm thinking of the Veronica Mars pilot, too, which like Veronica Mars is like a special treasure to me. But I think that pilot, you get it right away and you get Veronica's deal. And, and, you know, and she's like, do you want to know who killed my best friend? Like me, too. And she's like, oh, do you want to know how I lost my virginity? So do I. And you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, the gossip, yeah, yeah Gossip yeah, Girl, yeah. too. And so we get, like, you know, really this, like, tone set and the whole, like, like style and attitude of the show. What I think is interesting is sometimes thinking about pilots that are really out of step with the rest of the show. I'm thinking of the pilot for Big Bang Theory, which yeah. is very, very different from the show that it eventually grew into being. How so? It's like, I believe the pilot is in a fertility clinic, and they're, like, they're donating sperm. Yeah. And just, like, that would never happen <laughs> now, and, like, on the show now. And it's, it's just much much more crass, like much sort of nastier in the way that I think the show has become a much softer, more gentle comedy. I think yes. people maybe still lump it in more with Two and a Half Men than I think is technically... No, it really doesn't it's, It really there. just isn't, it, it isn't it like that. that. Um, but certainly the pilot does fit that model. There were two pilots for that, by the way. Oh yeah, uh, there was the, the, the one first before one. that was even worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and CBS said, no, start over again. And, and <laughs> Chuck Lorre, to his credit, said, okay. Seinfeld, the, the pilot uh, for Seinfeld is another example. And this is almost like I don't even know if we can get into that show because it changed so much so many times. Yeah. Like that was part of the fun of watching Seinfeld was what will Seinfeld be this year? But <laughs> but still, looking at that pilot, it feels 
positively primitive. It felt a little softer, no? It did, and it felt much more typical. Mm -hmm. Much more typical. I don't know, like, typical of what exactly, but it didn't feel like... When you get to season three or four of Seinfeld and it really starts to cook and feeling it's feeling its oats, it's taking risks, it's doing things just for the hell of it to see if it works. Like that's that's what I think of when I think of Seinfeld. And the pilot for that felt very good. It was perfectly acceptable, but it was nothing nothing extraordinary. It's about just it. not it's voicey. It's yeah. almost how I yeah. feel watching the beginning of The Simpsons and then how it kind of builds into it builds its voice really yes. strongly. Yes. There's also so many different factors that go into a comedy pilot versus a drama pilot. Mm -hmm. I think it's clear that a drama is going to suck when the pilot has certain shortcomings. And I think for comedies, a pilot winds up being worth even less because it's so difficult to know where some of the humor for the show will eventually live. Yes. And so every once in a while, there's a really amazing comedy pilot. Like, I think the pilot of How I Met Your Mother is fantastic. Um, And I remember being just, like, gobsmacked. Like, I just thought it was so good. And it was, like, different. And it was funny and smart and and sweet. Yeah, and it was just, like, inventive. And you really didn't see that twist coming when he's like, and that's how I met your Aunt Robin. Mm -hmm. And, like, let us never speak of how things ended. But, like, that pilot really sold me on the idea of the show super quickly. Whereas I think plenty of other comedy pilots, that's just not an effective like microcosm yes. at all. You have an you have an interesting you have a unique perspective on this because you're also a comedy performer and and I've ta- I've had many conversations with you about this the difference between comedies and dramas and how they grow and I hadn't really thought about how dependent comedies are like the core of it is how these actors interact like no matter how inventively directed it is it's so dependent on chemistry and you can't cheat it in the way that you can on a drama I don't think. You know, like you can't you can't do the look over here. Nice direction. You can't do that on a comedy. I think eventually on a drama, you can find one person who can carry more of a show. Like, I think there's a way to have a really good drama with a lot weaker, like a couple of weak cast members. But I think on a comedy, it's hard to make one. You can't just have one person be the funny one if everyone else is not quite as good. No. Like, I think. The OC is super effective, even though I think Misha Barton is in over her head, right, compared to, I think, the other performances. But it doesn't ruin the OC at all, right? Mm-hmm. But I think if, you know, if the performances on, for example, Roseanne were really, like, if somebody really sucked, you would just, like, you couldn't get away with the whole thing. It. There can't be any weak links on a comedy. It's a lot harder. Right. Yeah, that's true. Pilots, to some degree, are, are a little less important for comedy, especially situation comedies and multi-camera comedies, because character familiarity is just so important for viewers it, and, and, and understanding the comedy. I mean, Friends, for me, is a perfect example. I reviewed Friends when I was a TV critic back in the 90s, and I hated uh, the pilot for Friends because I was a Gen Xer and I thought it was pandering, and these people looked like annoying stereotypes. Within six to eight episodes, and then later... Later on, once you really got to know the characters, it became a lot funnier because you got to know these people and and just an upturned lip was enough to set people <laughs> laughing. You know, that's all it took. I mean, the actors could really sort of become essential to how the show is perceived. And also not just the, the audience getting to know the characters, but the writers getting to know the actors. Right. And sometimes when the writers see what the actors can do, they start to get ideas. And the actors, when they're given an idea that they really enjoy executing, they start to egg on the writers to give them more stuff like that to do. And then you get a really interesting series of developments. You can really see a star taking shape or just an interesting character taking shape. One good example of that is John C. McGinley on Scrubs. One of the writers for that show told me that once they figured out that he could do anything with his voice and with his body, they started to try to see what he couldn't do. 
And that's why things like every episode would have one completely ridiculously preposterous thing involving that character. And they right. would they wrote it just to see if he could pull it off. And that's why the Big Bang Theory became the Jim Parsons show, I think, right? Yeah. I also think comedy in particular relies on building and breaking a pattern. It gets schlocky when we have, for example, like catchphrases or whatever. But we want to see Kramer walk in the door a weird way or we know that Sheldon has his seat on the couch or whatever. And we're going to have these moments that build to creating that pattern and then we break that pattern at some point and then that becomes funny like that sort of like refreshes our moment and so in in any given episode we might be building a pattern but if you're really familiar with the show or have even seen a handful of episodes the character pattern is building across many things and so it's like we know that Rachel will always be a little ditzy and obsessed with Bloomingdale's or whatever and we see that pattern repeated and then at one point when a character is like wait why aren't you then we get like a break of that pattern and and we Mm -hmm. have like that moment of surprise which I think is important especially when we're thinking about comedies that have dozens or hundreds of episodes like that pattern getting really built into the whole series whereas on a drama that's a lot less of an issue or a Mm -hmm. factor i always wonder when i'm sent just a pilot to review why they bothered because the pilot is so often not really representative not just of what the show is but what it might eventually become that you just can't it's like i'm going to tell you a story and then what they do instead is clear their throat you know it's like just tell the story you know and and babylon you remember that show babylon that was on sundance Oh, that, yeah. that aired so that aired in the United States. They began with episode two, and they just threw you right into the middle of it. And I remember thinking, like, you know, I seem to remember reading somewhere that there was a two-hour pilot of this, but that's not it. And I went and looked it up online, and they did have a pilot, and they just decided not to show that's it. Super smart. And you know, I never, I didn't miss it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't miss it at all. Because you can just fall into the show and figure out without yeah. them telling you explicitly. And sometimes it's better and, if they don't. Yeah. They avoid that, like you know, and especially when they do it with voiceover. God. Oh, God. <laughs> I hate it so much. I tell you, nothing sets my teeth on edge as a critic than voiceover that is clearly there to paper over shortcomings in the storytelling. Like, And over there is my sister, Meg. Yeah. You know, God. it's like, please, just don't. So let's shift gears and talk a little bit about Fear the Walking Dead. But first, a word from our sponsors. Our sponsor this week from creator Edward Burns is the new series Public Morals on TNT. In the 60s, New York was called Fun City. Gambling, prostitution, after-hours bars, someone had to manage the fun. Enter the cops of the Public Morals Division. They were the landlords, and if you wanted to be in business, you had to pay the rent. It's New York like you've never seen it and a story that's never been told. Watch Public Morals series premiere tonight, Tuesday the 25th at 10, 9 central, only on TNT. So if you're unfamiliar with Fear the Walking Dead, it's a spinoff series of the other zombie show, The Walking Dead. And instead of picking up in Atlanta, Georgia, we pick up in Los Angeles, in El Sereno, which is a predominantly Latino community. And it's around the same time as where we began with The Walking Dead, except I believe it's slightly earlier than when we found Rick because people are only just starting to notice that there might be something weird going on. I mean, we don't know how much earlier it is in terms of... Mm -hmm like the passage of time, but it's definitely earlier in people's like awareness of what's happening. Well, and there's a time jump in the pilot of Walking Dead. Like he wakes up from a coma and things have apparently been bad for, I don't know the exact time frame, but it's bad enough that the the world looks just like it's gone to The world has been like decimated. Yeah, Um, yeah. So it's, you know, the zombies have had time to work their zombie magic. That's one of the interesting things in the pilot of Walking Dead is that Rick's total disorientation and confusion of like, what the fuck happened while I was in a coma? Like he's experiencing it at the same moment that viewers are experiencing it. We don't know what happened. We don't know what's dangerous. We don't know what's safe. And then in Fear the Walking Dead, we have the first time that our characters encounter the idea that zombies are afoot. And we are introduced to them through this one family whose son is a heroin addict. And he's the one who starts to notice 
something is strange is happening, but nobody believes him because they think he's a drug <laughs> I always, addict. I always wonder, like, I feel like any zombie film or zombie television show needs to establish right off the bat if zombie movies exist in this universe. Right. I always wonder about that. Every time I see something like the shot in this Fear the Walking Dead pilot where they're watching the television footage of the incident on the bridge and there's a guy who's clearly a zombie who's eating somebody's <laughs> face off and they're like, what's he doing? Is he grabbing his wallet? What is that? It's like, how is this not in Florida? I to- totally agree. That's, it, it rubs me the wrong way. It's like, come on. Haven't you guys seen a zombie movie? Exactly. I, yeah, I don't. I think they can't possibly know, right? Or everyone's a little stupider in zombie movies. I, yeah, that does seem like that. And a little slower. What bothered me was like, no one would say things that I would expect people to say in a situation like this. Like, they wouldn't tell their loved ones what was going on. Or, you know what I mean? Like... Where mm-hmm. I felt like it was just... To, I'll explain yeah, later. <laughs> exactly. I hate that. I hate it so much. Yeah. And it's just to create this There's manufactured no time. I'll tension. I'll explain later. I'll explain on the way. Yeah. Like, no, explain it to me now before I get in the fucking car with you. Well, also, I feel like <laughs> Nick doesn't... He's not like, I got to tell you guys. Now, don't... He's not I know explicit. I'm a drug addict, and yeah. so I've seen some weird shit. But this time, it, there was no... And we don't have a history of like knowing that he's kind of like a cried wolf kid about mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. And he's just like, I can't say anything because I know they won't believe me. And it's like, try them. <laughs> <laughs> it's really frustrating because we do know, right? And so yes. knowing so much more than the characters is a very difficult, dramatic strategy. It's really hard to pull off that. We can't feel any more tension than the characters do because you know. I don't know where, honest to God, where is the excitement supposed to come from? I don't know. Where is the excitement supposed to come from on the show? I want to know. I really want to know. And, I, and, I, and I've denigrated this series and, <laughs> you know, people have, people have chastised me for denigrating this series. And there are fans out there who love, they fucking love these zombie shows. They love them. I mean. They love them. There's and not if you that say, many other zombie shows, right? To be clear, we're talking about zombie I'm talking about lore. this one, these, yeah. this, these two, okay. this one that's only one episode into it. People already love it. They love it. I got a I lot mean, of people calling me ignorant on Twitter this week. I was like, you haven't even the seen it yet. Dead. I've seen two. And it's like, you know, it's like saying you love hamburgers and you've only eaten McDonald's. <laughs> like, you don't love zombie movies. If this is what you think is a great zombie movie, get the fuck out of here. Oh. Seriously. <laughs> I can name you 20 zombie movies, and I won't do it now. That are, are you a zombie the snob? Best. I am a zombie <laughs> snob. I'm totally a zombie snob. Only top shelf zombie for me. <laughs> the best brains. No, this is really, this is like reheated zombie, the whole thing. And there are moments where, like, Todd Vanderwerf, my friend, keeps occasionally saying, hey, you should start watching The Walking Dead again. It's It's gotten good again. It is not a Matt show. You will not like this show at all. Ain't happening. Ain't happening. No, I, I feel like up. I had to watch, I it's have enough. to watch it because one of us needs to be on top of it. It's, you know it's what? Like, you owe you, me because it was it's me. It's yours. It's yours. I've done my time with the original Walking Dead. I checked out after the pilot for The Walking Dead. So even though everyone loved that pilot for whatever reason, I just never felt compelled to watch more. So. It's just such bullshit. And there and there will be a run of like four or five episodes that are actually really good. Yeah. And I then think... you're like, wow, now they finally figured it out. And then they go on hiatus and they come back and pfft, nothing. I feel like it's like there are scenes that are good and the action of the sh- of original Walking Dead is terrific. Like I think the zombie killing, I think all of that is super well done. But I think it's a show that really, really struggles to find any emotional resonance in any of the choices it makes ever. <laughs> I know. And so, like, there's I, just yeah. so many things. It's like, oh, these people are cannibals. And it's like, well, why don't they have, like, rabbits? Like, that is a much, much easier source of protein to cultivate than 
human beings. They're not they're easy like, to kill. They don't yeah, fight you like, as much. Oh, they're not coming no. after you with a belt or a rake. You so know? like the zombie part is just like, okay, how are you guys still so bad at killing zombies? Like how how have we not developed any kind of like additional expertise? But then like I think what's supposed to seem very like fascinating about the show is like, but what if man is the true monster? It's like, I know. <laughs> he is. It's true. And like, have you ever thought about that? It's like, I have thought about it. Yeah. I'm thinking about it right now. Dude, yes. what if we what if we're, we're the walking the dead? Yeah, it's like, yes. <laughs> Yes, Walking Dead, we are aware of that. Dude, what if we're the Walking Dead? As someone who hasn't watched since the beginning, is there any reason they haven't just all gotten onto a cruise ship and just sailed into the here's middle what of the I, Here's what I want to see. I want to see the next time they do a zombie movie, it needs to be set in a universe where zombie movies exist. And as soon as they figured out that it's zombies, they sit down with a stack of DVDs and figure out what is the best, most efficient way to kill all these zombies. And I recommend they pop in Dead Alive by Peter Jackson, because the end of that thing, a guy takes a lawnmower and he takes the little plate off of the bottom so that the blade is exposed and he just walks through these zombies like he's whacking weeds in his backyard <laughs> that's how you do it <laughs> it's just there's so many times like we could have a more emotional truth being exposed through something and then we see like we'll finally see like michonne's flashback and it's just like oh okay like it was like oh so <laughs> so you uh, like you used to live in like a really nice house Oh, <laughs> and like that's it. Rather than it's like, oh, it's like, oh, you used to have a child. Maybe that's why she feels so much kinship with Carl. It's like, yeah, okay, but Michonne's son was like a toddler, and Carl's like a sweaty tween. Like, <laughs> why would she feel bonded to him for that? We've also seen her bond with him because, like, you know, they're hanging out together all the time. Like, it's like, oh, I wonder where she got the idea to like keep the zombies on a chain. Maybe we'll see like a weird mm-hmm. like connector moment. No, it's like, oh, I wonder how she got so good with like swords. I wonder if that was like an interest that she had in right. the before time. It's like, nah, she was like making swordfish. Not very <laughs> like. It was like okay. It's like, well, oh, what was her husband like? He's like cute. It's like. Oh, that's it? Like, you know what's really frustrating like, about okay. this? Like, the zombie the zombie genre has the potential to be as richly expressive as the Western, the film noir, or anything else. Like, there's all kinds of things you can do with this story that are interesting. Like, you just look at some of the great zombies. Shaun of the Dead, 28 Days oh, yeah. Later. Yeah, I know. They're the infected. They're not really zombies. Get out of here. They're zombies. Anything by Romero, practically, except for the last two, which were terrible. But, like, you look at something like uh, Romero's Dawn of the Dead. There's a scene in a shopping mall. No zombies in it. It's just them holed up on the second or third floor. They've looted the place. They've constructed like a little utopia for themselves. But they're lying around like characters in an Antonioni film, you know, immaculately dressed, lushly appointed surroundings, bored out of their minds. That's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful bit of filmmaking. And I've never seen anything that good on The Walking Dead. And I watched for, what, four frickin' seasons before I said I can't do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to Fear the Walking Dead, what did you think about the characters they introduced us to? And do you care about their fates or, you know, how, no. how they're... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Not we're, a lot. We're, we're, only, we're still only, you know, we've I like seen the kid. two episodes. I like the kid. But... I like the kid. I like the kid. He's I interesting. I like the kid, too. He reminds me of Skeet Ulrich, kind of. Got this, like, kind of weird... Quality you reminded me a little bit of Dean from Gilmore Girls. Oh, no. And I just ruined it for <laughs> oh, Gazelle. Margaret. Sorry. Because he like that. He's just like a, like a hair human. <laughs> just like secretly it's a broom with a wig on. <laughs> it's just like, oh, boy. But Kim Dickens, like, I just wish that so many people didn't want her to save their show. Yeah. You know, like I see or, or they save that part. It's like there's really nothing to recommend this part. There's nothing about it that's inherently interesting. We need a really great actress for it. Well, let's call Kim Dickens. 
Like, no, 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 no. Write a great part for Kim Dickens. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the dialogue, too. We have a... <laughs> we <laughs> Must have... we? <laughs> we have a clip here of Travis, who's Kim Dickens, whose character's name is Madison, her boyfriend... <laughs> He is a a high school teacher, and he's teaching Jack London's to build a fire. (laughs) This is the part I transcribed in my review, because I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Question of the day. (laughs) Now, what is London trying to teach us here? That wasn't a rhetorical question. Well, you keep working on that. That's good. Way to go, Brandon. To think good. Listen, yeah, that's good. But this is an English class. Put it away. Russell! Enlighten us. Come on, bud. I don't care about building a fire. No? Can you build a fire? I got a stove. (laughs) I got heat. I'm good. All right, all right. So what about this uh, wolf dog? Does he care about the man in the story? Hell no. Hell no? Why? Because a man tried to cut the damn dog open to keep his hands warm. That's gruesome. That's gruesome, but why would he do that? To build a fire. Why? Why would he build a fire? Think about it. Think about it. Why would he build a fire? To not die. Nail it. See, man versus nature. London's trying to teach us how not to die. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, like, billboarding of these issues. When are we ever going to see a teacher in a movie or a television show who actually talks about the actual work? And say, you know, it's always like, here's a quote from this poem that illustrates my mental state. (laughs) You know, no. Anyway, (laughs) the following does that, too. Yeah, this she's just like, oh, man versus nature. How do we not die? And I was like, oh, I... hmm." Glad you brought that up. It never would have occurred to me watching a show about frickin' zombies. (laughs) I was God, just... how did this podcast turn into the scene in Goodfellas where they beat well, Billy Bats to death? I mean, this is like, I, 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 we're so mean to this. We're going to hell, probably. About, what was so great about For the walking? something that's bad is bad? It no, 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 sucks this ass. Is, wait, it this does. is, look, I think sometimes this, and I know Matt is joking around, and we're in the same industry of sometimes having people being like, why don't you make something if you think it's so easy? Look, this show has had a lot of time to decide what it was going to be. Yes. A lot of time to hire probably anyone. This is like a very high profile. This is the spinoff of the most popular show on television. This is not good. It's not good enough at all. And I don't feel bad by saying that it's not good. No. Okay, this is not like a, like a bunch of children trying to make something and it's like I'm squashing their dream. This is put in front of me in a professional capacity as like, this is it. This is what we made. Behold. This and is the flagship show terrible. of their network. Well, Joe, can you speak a little to you know the business <laughs> wow. decisions behind what AMC is possibly thinking. Money, money, uh, money, well, money, money, money. Well, I mean, look. <laughs> it's like, I, how I, do I make that making it rain I, like hand gesture yeah. on the podcast? Well, yeah, it's it's as Margaret said. It's it's about making money, and I think they've been smart about this. They've waited a long time. They didn't put this into development like immediately after the show was a huge hit. You know, it was done with CSIs and Law and Orders at the network level. They've waited a few years, and they're starting out slowly. They're only doing six episodes. They're not airing it at the same time as The Walking Dead, so they're sort of making it sort of a bridge to the new. 
season of the of the Walking Dead. I think it's a smart strategy. You know, AMC got a lot of flack, including from our former colleague Josh Wolk, because at the same time that they announced they were doing a Walking Dead spinoff, they also said they were doing Better Call Saul. You know, they were splitting up the final season of Mad Men. It just looked very desperate, and it is desperate to a degree. They're desperately trying to make more money and also make these big franchises that have last as long as possible. But I think if you're going to be repetitive, I think AMC is doing it in the best possible way. I think they hit a close to a home run with Better Call Saul. That's a really good show. No, that's a legitimately good show. And the, the Fear the Walking Dead premise is creative, at least. It yeah. gets people it's interested. Different. And by only doing six episodes, they're sort of there. It doesn't look like they're just trying to completely capitalize and just do, you know, Walking Dead colon Miami, you know, as opposed to just doing that. <laughs> I you know. would be really I into honestly, that. I, I actually <laughs> don't think that would be worse. I actually think that the, like my dream about The Walking Dead, because I think The Walking Dead has one of the best setups you're gonna, ever going to get for a TV show. That is a hell of a premise. And the problem with it was that all of the people on it suck, right? It was just like, what will Rick do? It's like, fuck Rick. Like, I don't care. I miss Shane. Right? Like, like, so it's like, oh, what should we do? Should we have a baby? It's like, I don't think you should <laughs> have a baby. The entire history of television like, has had ever been a good it's idea. Like, oh, geez. Ever. It's like, well, we know two things about zombies. They like, they're attracted to noise and they're really hungry. It's like, well, get, make a baby. It's like, fucking <laughs> get a condom. Like, there's this is ridiculous. <laughs> So I feel like I, my dream would be like to wipe all of these characters away and just like, it's still the zombie apocalypse. Everything's still fucked up. We can even still be in Georgia and we're still in the woods or whatever. But like just new people, new ideas. Like like I would actually love if there was um, one in Miami. I particularly want to see what the zombies behave like in a cold climate. And so yes. I'm curious about that. I'm, I would sure, see, the, I'm but, sure the but, crews but, are not, though. Yeah, I mean, I want to see By the way, but, but Margaret, that's a possibility. The show's already been given a two-season order, I believe. And we don't know how long they're going to stay in the pre-zombie world. I mean, I, what I think really frustrated me the most about this is we actually know a lot about how modern society responds to an epidemic. And this, to me, did not resonate as realistic. Let's think about how strong the reaction was to the idea that Ebola might come to America. Yeah. Right? Like, people were radically out of pace with, like, the actual threat of it and overcorrected to, like, a really ridiculous degree. And who could blame them? Um, Science. (laughs) (laughs) Science would blame them for being ridiculous. (laughs) So then on this show, everyone is radically underreacting to something that is, like, the apparently common knowledge to junkies and poor people that this is occurring and it's just like, okay, so this is like an AIDS parable where because it's affecting marginalized people, the government is ignoring it. Is I wish that, I, I wish that just, were what they were doing. Right, but it's definitely it's not, not. It's not explained at least. I don't have a good sense of what's going on. It just it respect. doesn't I don't care about any of that stuff. What I care about is the feelings of these characters who have interesting personalities. What do they believe? How is it challenged? What are they gonna do? What compromises are they willing to make to survive? That's what I care about. I, like, all of this world-building stuff is of tangential interest, and that's what Walking Dead and apparently Fear the Walking Dead and entirely too many television shows care about. I want to see a scene like the scene in the first 28 days later when Brendan Gleeson's character gets a drop of blood and is infected and is struggling, fighting not to become a monster while his daughter looks on. I want to see a scene like in 28 Weeks Later, the sequel, the opening of that is unbelievably great, where this father and his family are in there and zombies are attacking the house and he gets out through an upstairs window and gets away and leaves. He leaves. He's a coward. He deserts his own family to save his skin and he's got to live with that. That's what I want to see. You know, that's what I want to see. 
What about iZombie? Did either of you guys see iZombie? And... <laughs> I loved iZombie. I love iZombie. I thought that I-Zombie was actually pretty good. Shit. I like um, I like I like humor in my zombie. Wait, you guys are laughing at me. That show is super good. No, I know it was just it the is. funniest it transition. Is. It was from Matt gave this like soaring speech. I was like getting chills. <laughs> Dude, have you seen iZombie? <laughs> I think iZombie. Like that show does find ways to. I mean, obviously, that's like a, we're talking about the CW show it's from the creators of Veronica Mars. Our heroine Olivia uh, Liv, get it? She live, but she's dead. Is a zombie, and it. she's a medical examiner, so she has access to brains because she has like this overwhelming, like insatiable urge to eat brains. But she does, and when she does, she becomes. Uh, she gets like flashes of those people's memories, and is thus able to help solve their murders. It sounds corny. It's actually really cheeky and fun. And if you're a fan of Veronica Mars, I think you would be a fan of the show. I also think that that show makes the most emotional choices it can, right? So it's like, right. oh, why is this difficult for Olivia in particular, right? Not just like, wow, that would be like a really fucked up thing to happen to you. It's like, why is this hard for her? It's like, okay, because she was this like super overachiever and she's afraid to let anyone know. And so it becomes like a metaphor for like, how do you become yourself when you're not who the your parents thought you were and like how how much how big a facade do you put on and and convince your family and friends that like no 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 i'm still this other way when that's not really how you are right and so like it becomes more interesting than just the mechanics of like ew she's eating the brain which is like pretty gross but it's also like (laughs) oh what would it mean to still be myself what is the selfhood that i have access to like now that the person i was is literally dead what are the choices i have to be who i want yes Um, and like that's interesting um it's it's not about the zombies it's not about the zombies ultimately it's never been about the zombies not in good zombie movies (laughs) you know and here this show is about it's like entirely too much about the zombies and and like in a very boring mechanical situational way and that's why i've never been able to warm to the show sounds like you're not willing to give it more than the two episodes you've seen that no i'm out i'm out i'm out out. i've given i've given like 30 you know what is it how many 40 hours of my life to the to the first walking dead and Uh. i'm done i'm done well, some of us will continue watching just to see what happens. To be clear, Gazelle is giving me the face like, I'm making you continue watching because someone has to write about it for the website. And Matt has officially decided it won't be him. I can't. I just can't. Please okay. don't make me. For those who, who are interested in watching Fear the Walking Dead, it airs Sunday nights at 9 p.m. on AMC. But think about your choices. <laughs> That's it for this week's Vulture TV podcast. Don't forget to email us your questions or comments at tvquestions at vulture.com. Our producer is Sarah Abduraman. Our senior producer is Laura Mayer. Andy Bowers is our executive producer. The Vulture TV podcast is part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at itunes.com slash panoply. And if you like the show, tell your friends and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. I'm Gazella Mommy, and you can find me on Twitter at Gazellephant. I'm Margaret Lyons, and you can find me on Twitter at Marge in Charge. I'm Matt Zoller Sites. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Zoller Sites. I'm Joe Adele, and you can find me on Twitter at TV Mojo. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.